Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Bernhard Schlink is the author of Olga, a novel. Bernhard Schlink was born in Germany in 1944, a professor emeritus of law at Humboldt University Berlin and Cardozo Law School New York. He is the author of the internationally best-selling novels The Reader, which became a multi-million copy international bestseller, and an Oscar-winning film starring Kate Winslet and Rafe Fiennes, and The Woman on the Stairs. Other notable works available in English include Homecoming, Summer Lies, The Weekend, Guilt About the Past, Flights of Love, and the Gerard Self series. He lives in Berlin and New York. Welcome, Bernard. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to read books to discuss Olga. Hi, Zibi. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. What a beautiful story. I mean, in this book, you have captured an entire life, expectations crushed, happinesses attained and then lost. I mean, multiple generations. It's really amazing the way you're able to craft this person who we now feel like we know and have lived this whole life with. What, what's the secret? How do you do this so well? 
The women who inspired me to write about Olga, yeah. it's my grandmothers. There were several old aunts in my family. And when I was a child, they had time for me. And then when I got older, I so much enjoyed talking to them and learning from them and hearing about their lives and their times. And I think all that went into, went into Olga. What you said really resonates with me that that your grandparents made time for you because I feel like that's the one true gift we all have to give the people that we love that is yeah. sometimes feels like the hardest one to spare. So <laughs> and grandparents sometimes can give what parents can't. A kind of understanding, time, they don't judge. <laughs> they just are happy to learn what the grandchildren are interested in and want and do. Yeah. Although Olga's grandmother was not particularly nice to her. Well, Olga had bad luck with her grandmother. Yeah, yeah, bad luck. In fact, you have this one passage. Maybe I could read if you don't mind. You said, is that okay if I read a little, like a few lines? Oh, please go. Yeah. Okay. You said, when Olga arrived, her grandmother was already lying in her coffin in the church. Olga sat beside her and held the wake. From nightfall till daybreak, she sat beside the woman who had taken her in and raised her, but had not liked her. She did not mourn what had been between her grandmother and herself, which was now over, but that which had never been. She also mourned the unlived lives of those fallen young men and the life she and Herbert would never have. For the first time, all of it was real. The loss, the farewell, the pain, the mourning. She started weeping and could not stop. Mm. Yeah. I loved that passage because that's that's part of grief, which I feel like is coming more into the mainstream. You're not just sad and devastated by the loss of the person, but all those experiences you have would, would have had and then could not have. The experience she couldn't have with Herbert because yeah. he died on this uh, futile expedition and with the man of her generation who died in the First World War by millions and also the experiences she wasn't allowed to have as a woman. Yeah. How hard did she have to fight to become even an elementary school teacher? And she would have loved to go to university. And this life under her possibilities and often next to men who lived above theirs. I mean, that's that was a tough life. What do you think Olga would do if she was alive today? What would her job be, do you think? Oh, she would go to university. And maybe she would become a professor or a doctor, or I don't know, but yeah. she certainly would go to university and, and be someone. Yeah, because she was so I mean, motivated. She was someone. She was, yeah. With more success. Yes, very motivated. I feel like maybe she would have, you know, won the National Book Award or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so another interesting part of her story is that she goes deaf. And then you and you show us what it's like to live in the shoes of somebody who can't sort of hear the world and also to be someone who regularly is in someone's orbit. I'm not saying that very properly, but, you know, her student, if you will, who has to, who has a, a huge affection for her and yet she can't hear him and it doesn't even seem to matter. It's like she learns how to listen when she can't even hear. So tell me how you decided to make her to have that, you know, what was the purpose of that? Well, one inspiration was when I grew up, like Ferdinand, we had a seamstress who was, couldn't hear. Ah. 
And like these other women, she still became important for me. And I remember as a very small child, I shouted at her and couldn't understand why she didn't respond. And later we found our way to communicate. She was very good at lip reading. And so I spoke slowly and she had interesting things to tell. Wow. Very interesting. And you also included both third person and first person, right? So you have two points of view. You introduce this character sort of halfway through who ends up linking everything all together, which we don't, you know. I wanted to get closer and closer to her. So first, it's a kind of third-person, omniscient narration, and only at the end we learn that it's Ferdinand who tells everything he has learned from her and about her. And then in the second part, it's his meeting her and talking to her and liking her and being liked by her. And then in the third, I wanted to get even closer and hear her voice. In, in her letters. Yes, in the letters, of course. Did people really do that? Like, were there post offices that held all the letters the way it happened here? Like, it, that you could yes. have a stockpile like that and, and have people come in and yes. rummage through? Yes? Yes. And I learned sheer accident by about a post office where they were really too lazy to sort out what has to go to the National Archive, archive and what should we throw out. And they just put it all <laughs> on the attic and there it lay for decades. And at one point it was found. Wow. What a treasure trove. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So what was the act of writing this book like relative to the reader and your other works? Did this, like, what is your process like in general and how did this sort of stay the course or deviate? Oh, I don't have a ritual in my writing. (laughs) Probably because I started writing when I was so busy as a professor and a judge. I just had to take every chance I got to write. So I write whenever I have time. I'm still pretty busy with other things. And sometimes it's just an evening and sometimes it's a whole weekend or a week or even a month. And I wrote Olga partly in Germany and partly in the United States where I also live. And how has how has it felt having so much sort of acclaim to, with your writing? Does it ever make you nervous to start another project or like, does it have any impact at all? Or are you just delighted and you just move on and do your thing? What is, how does it feel? Oh, I think it's such a gift that I was so successful so far. And I think there will be readers who will enjoy my next book. And if it's not quite the success that the last was, who cares? I enjoy writing so much. And it's a way of, it's a way also of escaping. It's some escapism that I write and I create this word or I find this word and I, yeah, escape into it. And when did I'm that? Very happy. I'm very happy when I sit down and write. Oh, that's beautiful. Did you always love to write? Did it start when you were a kid or when was the first time you wrote a story? Well, I started as a child, and I uh, wrote stories about animals, and then when I 
grew older, I wrote bad poems and <laughs> bad plays. And then I started writing scholarly stuff, and I thought the joy of writing would fulfill itself in scholarly writing until I realized something was missing. And at first, I didn't know what was missing, so I went to the California Massage Institute and got an education as a masseur. And I tried jewelry and did that for a while until finally I realized, now I have to go back to writing. <laughs> and started writing mysteries and then turned to other fiction. No writing is part of my life from early on. And how about reading? What types of books do you love to read? I'm not a very systematic reader. And I, I love short books. That's why I understand moms who don't have time <laughs> to read thick, fat books. I love short books. I love uh, old books, 19th century literature again and again. And I try to keep up a little bit what's, with what's, being, what's coming out. And what about stories that you're eager to tell that you haven't told yet? Do you have a whole... Do you have a lot of characters that are floating around who you're excited to write about? Or do you have more, is it more the plot that appeals to you? How do you, what what propels you to decide this is going to be a novel? I start with the plot. And I play around then, of course, also not just with the plot, but with situations and atmospheres and characters. But the first is the plot. And uh, sometimes it fits and it becomes a novel or a story, I have the feeling it fits. I don't fit it. I don't do it. It comes. And that's that's wonderful. And then when I have an idea, finally it fits, then I can start writing. I pretty much have the whole thing in my mind before I start. I know other writers go from chapter to chapter Maybe because I am a lawyer who has to systematize things, I have to have it all in my head before I can before I can start writing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. 
Wow. And what, tell me a little bit more about the dynamic of Olga and Herbert's family and never really feeling accepted from the beginning and not being able to, you know, really have the relationship that she wanted because of external constraints. It's not the relationship she wanted because of that. Also, once he suggests marriage, it would mean for her to lose a position as a teacher. Mm-hmm. In Prussia in those days, once a woman teacher got married, she had to give up her profession. And she loves the independence and the strength that she gets from being a teacher. So she's also reluctant to give that up and to, to marry Herbert. And she has also a very clear sense of his flaws and his shortcomings. She loves him anyway. He's lively and he's charming and he's enthusiastic. But she also sees that he is yeah, somewhat elusive. Did you ever have a lost love like this? Like Olga had for Herbert. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, <laughs> there was a woman. <laughs> and that makes... Women are different in their elusiveness than men. But, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Of course, of course, what I have experienced goes into my characters. Right. We can only write about what we know, and we know what we have experienced. Although a lot of people write about things they haven't experienced. I feel like there's a lot of debate now. Is that okay to even do? Can you write from somebody else's point of view if you can never have their lived experience? Is that okay or not? Do you have a view on that? I find this a very strange debate, I must say. I mean, what would we do without Anna Karenina? What would we do without Doris Lessing writing about men or James Baldwin writing about white people? I mean, we have to know how others see us, how others experience us. And we can only get it from them talking about it and writing about it. So I think a world where everybody would only write about his own experience would be very poor. Of course, even if we write about the other, we can't write about the other fully authentically. But that's not what we need. We know someone writes about the other and tries to understand. But I think we need that. Yeah. We absolutely need it. I feel like with fiction, I mean, all you're trying to do is see the world through someone else's perspective. And that is like the embodiment of empathy, right? That is what we're trying to get everybody to do is to put ourselves in other people's shoes. So this is just the, the literary outgrowth of that sort of emotionally intelligent exercise. I don't know. I don't feel like it takes anything away from other people, just like- Quite to the contrary. Yeah, I think it's it's trying to be additive. It's trying to say, look, like here I am taking years of my life, putting myself in your shoes. Maybe I didn't. Maybe this isn't perfect, but here I am, like trying my hardest. It's also always it's an offer to communicate. Yes. If I don't get it right, talk to me, correct me, make me understand more and better. I totally agree. I I 
I agree. I feel like even in acting now, there's some backlash. People are saying, you know, you, can you really be a character if it's not exactly like you? And it's like, well, isn't that acting? I mean, isn't that <laughs> what the exercise is, right? That's no. like writing. Isn't this what the exercise is? Is, But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So what are you working on now? Do you have another book in the works? I just finished an album in Germany. And it's also about women, three generations. And I think I have often been asked, why do you write about women so much? And I think basically I find them more interesting than men. <laughs> and I think one reason is this last century was such a century of change for women. New roles, old patterns didn't work anymore. They had to define them in a new way. They had to enter into society and politics. And for women, much more happened than for men. This is going to change. I mean, the world is becoming ever more difficult for men now. The old roles don't work anymore. So we have to find new ones. So maybe in the future, or I would write more about men, but this last century was really the century of women. And I think that's probably why. It's uh, the, the new novel is a story that also deals with East, West, East Germany and West Germany. Even though we are united, we still haven't really found together. And uh, all these years of being a communist country uh, isn't just, hasn't just disappeared. It has shaped people, shaped their expectations, their hopes, their resentments. And uh, we are still two different societies that are still in the process of growing together. And that's what, what the novel is dealing with. That sounds good. I was interested in this novel also how you introduced several Jewish characters or people who were, how you were trying to handle that in the context of the time and place and how people even viewed Jewish people a little bit. And tell me about that and if you were conscious in your depictions of that. Well, that happened the first time with the reader. I remember when I then came to New York after it had been a success, I have been invited by several book groups of old Jewish ladies. And I wondered, oh God, what are they going to say? And will they be unhappy with what I wrote because Hannah becomes a figure that is not just a monster? But no, they were interested. They were interested in Michael and his generation. How does this generation experience what their parents did? And they were also interested in Hannah. How do we experience these for some was the father or the uncle or whoever was important in his life and suddenly finds out involved in something awful. How do you deal with that? Do you automatically stop loving the person? No, of course not. You are torn. It's a feeling, difficult feeling, and they were interested in that too. Interesting. So if you had advice to give to someone just starting out as a writer, what would you, what would you say? Well, one advice that I found once, it's not for me, but it's excellent. You have to love sentences. So can you develop a love for sentences? And the other, that's the obvious uh, 
read and read really with the consciousness that you are dealing with other lives. You are feeling yourself into them. And what is it? And do you really enjoy that? And do you enjoy playing with it? Then go ahead and try. I love it. What are you reading like right now? What are you going to read today? <laughs> I read an old novel. I was with my American partner in Northern Italy. And so uh, to take a book on this trip, I took Manzoni, Promessi Sposi, <laughs> about this couple who wants to get married. And for years they can't because there are wars and then diseases and conflicts. And uh, it was written in the 19th century and it pretends to retell a chronic from the 17th century. And it's, it's much fun. It's really much fun. Fine. I know that in the end, they will be able to get married. <laughs> There's still another 200 pages to get there. So this is a relatively fat book for my normal way of reading. <laughs> it's funny though, when you're reading and you know something is going to happen and yet you can still wish so hard that it's not going to or, or hope so much <laughs> that it will. I'm reading a book now and I know that there's going to be this death, but I keep hoping that maybe if I just read it, it will change, that maybe it won't happen, even though in real life I knew it happened. You never, like it's that wishful reader thinking that makes no sense, but you know. Maybe you have to wish harder. Maybe I have to wish harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it wonderful how we can be drawn into books? Yes. Oh my oh. gosh. I know. I'm, sometimes I think, what does it say about me that I want to spend my whole life in books? Like, what does that say about my actual life? <laughs> Why do I do that? Well, I is it a problem? But I just love it. I love getting lost in, like, I feel like I was in Olga's life, right? I experienced that. Like, I I could feel the cold and I could, it, it, like, I could just feel the whole thing. And that's, it's just so magical. It's, we want to live more than one life. I mean, that's also the reason to write one wants to live. And I was with Olga, as you just described. And I love all my characters. And when the book is done, it's always a painful farewell. Now they go out into the world and I'm not with them the way I was for one or two or three years. You know, who knows how the universe works? right? We have all these souls here. And yet then there are all these characters and all these books. And they also kind of float around. Do you know what I mean? Where do they go? Anyway, <laughs> it's hard to believe that once you craft something or something gets created, that it can be lost entirely, right? It's out there. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. Anyway. You have lots of books behind you. I do. I do. Yeah. I love to read. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for introducing us all to Olga and the various cast of characters in her orbit. And, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Ziggy, for having me. It was just fun to good. talk to you. Oh, good. I'm so glad. It was fun to talk to you, too. <laughs> all right. Have a great day. You, too. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.